You're listening to Consolidate That. Hello, and welcome to Consolidate That. Ivan, good morning. How are you doing today? Pretty good. I am excited to introduce our guest today. He's an old friend of mine and colleague, Dr. Bob Murda. He's known from many achievements in his career, but he is a double-boarded internal medicine and critical care specialist and formed the college and the specialty at Tufts University in emergency and critical care. He was chief of staff at Dove Lewis, and I learned that he was the only critical care specialist that wore cowboy boots in there. Then he proceeded to work for BCA, where he spent 15 years, and I contacted Bob then trying to get SmartFlow into Orange County Specialty Hospital. And then he left, and then his veterinary career continued with Pathway Alliance now, and then Pathway Partners, I think they were called at that point. He started as a chief veterinary officer, and then now he is a chief professional relationship officer. Bob, what a pleasure to see you again. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ivan. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit more about the details about the role? Because chief medical officer is something that everybody can understand that. Chief professional relations officer with the wealth of background in veterinary medicine, what is that like and what does that role do in the organization? Yeah, it's a kind of a unique role, I think, breaking some new ground here. Basically, you know, our challenges in the profession right now are around manpower, both on the staff side and on the veterinary side. So my role with Pathway Vet Alliance now is university relationships, tech school relationships, building talent pipeline for our hospitals and looking for other opportunities to support uh, research and community service and those partnerships as well. So it's a pretty fun gig. I've been doing it for about six months now. And I think given the 40 years of experience and the relationships I've built over that time, it's a role that I feel comfortable in for sure. That's amazing. I know that uh, I've been talking to some people at Pathway, especially in the early days, and I know that you were the secret weapon when the deal was not closing and someone needed to understand the culture, then the secret weapon, Bob Murda, was released. And so that's why I think you're the perfect candidate for the relationship. But today we wanted to talk a little bit about consolidation. It's such a frothy sort of market right now. We're consolidating rapidly. Pathway ultimately, I think, was and probably is the fastest growing consolidator in terms of the number of practices per unit of time. So you've seen it all from the very inception and then through the transition and all the changes. So the topic that we choose for today, and we don't have to stick directly to it, but we wanted to talk about what is that checklist if someone jumps into the industry, especially not from the industry, and they want to consolidate veterinary practices. How do they approach the culture? What are the essential things when they start they should have in their back pocket when they're talking to veterinarians? And how do you inspire vets to sell their businesses to a consolidator? Because the market is completely different. I know when you guys started, the most important thing was to be different from Banfield and BCA, and that was a differentiator. And then these days, it has to be something special. So what is that starting point? And what do you think, just from the message and the cultural aspect and the vision and mission, what is that attracts the veterinarians these days to sell to one consolidator versus another? Yeah, it's a long and broad question there, Ivan, but to boil it down from a standpoint of the essentials, perhaps, I think, you know, veterinarians are a unique profession. I think 
people that come into our industry need to understand our industry. And so I would encourage people that are thinking about investing and consolidating in, in veterinary medicine is to spend a little time in some hospitals and get to know the people and the process and understand the relationships, both on the hospital side with the staff and doctors and the client aspects of our profession. Because I think when a seller or a potential seller and owner is looking for a home for their legacy, it's a community practice. I mean, veterinary medicine, at least if you want to look at the general practice side of things, has a radius of three to five miles. If you're in a big city, maybe some blocks. And so it's a community operation. And, and I think the culture is important and owners typically want to make sure that their people are taken care of and that the people that are taking over their practice understand the legacy that they're inheriting and, and respect that privilege of having that opportunity to have that practice be part of their platform. So I think that would be an important consideration. Certainly, as you mentioned, it's a, a very dynamic industry right now with regard to investment and, and opportunity. And so money speaks, certainly, but I think some of the other pieces are as important down deep for veterinarians that are looking to sell as the money that they may get up front or as part of an investment in that platform that they're considering. I've noticed that as we've looked at some of the different consolidators that are newer in the marketplace, a lot of them are not adding in that chief medical officer or the chief veterinary officer until maybe a little bit later. Do you think that's a person that should be an earlier add to the executive team? Or do you think that an aspiring CEO or, or COO should just embed themselves within the practices? Well, I think it's a relationship-based profession. And I think that from my standpoint, as you enter the industry or, or try to scale your platform as a consolidator, you need to have the understanding that it is veterinary medicine that's driving the business. And so business people are important, operators are important, but the reality is, again, that that if you don't have somebody that can provide the veterinary perspective on an issue or a problem or a potential project, you're disadvantaged in getting it to be successful, uh, whether it's on a single hospital level or a, a platform level. So from my standpoint, choosing the, the right people and the right mix of people as you start up and then as you scale is very important. And it's a veterinary platform. So chief veterinary officer seems like a natural to me. That makes sense. I want to dive a little further into this culture aspect, because I think that's very important. By their nature, I think that veterinarians are a very well-selected cohort of people that are passionate about helping animals. So there is one unity around the passion. But then when these different consolidators now erupt, they're talking about the purpose. And I think that the motivation in general for people is the combination of the two. You're passionate about something you like, and then there's a purpose that is bigger than yourself behind it. So can you talk a little bit about the purpose behind the consolidation and what could be articulated to the veterinarians to join them as a group around one purpose inside of consolidation? Yeah, I think there are definitely advantages to being part of a larger whole. It's a local industry, uh, leadership at the local level and some decision-making at the local level has to be maintained and, and remain in place. But I think the benefits of sharing across, not having your knowledge base or, or your business acumen be limited by the four walls of your practice. I mean, if you truly take advantage of the good of big, you're talking about educational opportunities, personal growth and staff growth opportunities. You're talking about purchasing opportunities. You're talking about a potential to serve clients and pets better with the sharing of best practices. So there's a lot of 
advantage that comes with being part of a, a bigger whole. I would like to switch to the business development. So if I'm a new consolidator, there's different strategies that people choose based on geography or maybe a hub and spoke. How would you choose if you're starting fresh? Would it be sort of anybody who will sell anywhere in the North America? Or do you try to stay local in the same state? Is there advantages from the regulation perspective where you don't have it here to several states immediately? Do you try to stick to sort of one central, let's say, emergency hospital so you have this hub and spoke sort of structure? What are those tactics that you've seen and that work well for others? Yeah, you certainly sort of described the landscape there. Based on my learnings with Pathway and others, I would suggest that if you're a beginning platform consolidator, that you probably stick to a base philosophy of types of practices and a geography that's manageable from a standpoint of support as you begin to scale your business. And so I think being rigorous in your what it is that we want to acquire and, and where we want to acquire them is an important aspect of setting the foundation for success to the future, in my opinion. It's interesting now, actually, you know, everybody has to talk a little bit about COVID and we will. I'm just wondering the dynamics through the acquisition and the pipeline, because when there was no COVID, it makes sense to visit every practice, to get to know people. But as you scale and then the COVID starts, do you see the deals being closed without even just remotely, without people flying out, visiting and preparing everything? Or is it still very much hands-on and visit the facility? I can't speak for everybody, but certainly with Pathway Vet Alliance, uh, our approach has become largely virtual. I mean, personally, I've only been on one airplane since last March, which was a trip to California a month ago. And we do have integration managers that are regional that will visit the hospitals maybe on the day of closing to help with onboarding of people into the payroll and so forth. But even our meet and greets and all of that are virtual these days and probably will continue to be so for the next, at least next quarter. It's interesting that it hasn't really created any more of a dynamic of, say, losing doctors during the process or having staff not understand what's happening with their benefits or whatever it might be. So I, I think it's it's an interesting, it's kind of like a lot of things we've found that, you know, you can get by with a virtual world and still provide uh, service and, and business success. So it's it's been an interesting learning for sure. It's probably going to change how we do it going forward because there's a significant expense, obviously, with traveling the globe and a large waste of personal time as well. A lot fewer steak dinners to buy people too. Right. Can, that would be helpful. You can lose weight <laughs> and exercise more all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Bob, you mentioned the integration side of it. Obviously, you guys have people all over the country that help with that integration. But what are some of the key things as we're talking about the essentialists? Who do you think is important to have on the ground, whether within the clinic or within the consolidator for that integration to go successfully? Yeah, I think, again, it's veterinary teams feel comfortable and respond to veterinary-oriented people that come into their midst. And so I think somebody like myself or another senior veterinarian or certainly people that come in as integration managers, a lot of those people for us have been practice managers. They understand the industry. They understand the stresses. Many of them have already undergone a, an acquisition event themselves. And so I think having a team of people that can relate to the staff on their level and understand where their concerns and fears may be is important for sure. There was a constant conversation between 
with the EasyVet software because we implemented a lot. We implemented SmartFlow alongside with EasyVet, and I was always proponent of hiring people from the industry, the technicians and and the veterinarians, so they can find the same language very quickly at the hospital. And they were hiring people that were more techy, and I found that we integrated with the team faster and better because you certainly speak the same language. But I also know that you're a proponent making the announcement earlier. And this is very interesting. Do you actually recommend that to the seller? Because a lot of the sellers just show up one morning and say, hi team, I love you. I sold you all. So do you recommend or do you guys insist or make a strong recommendation so they make that announcement earlier and help them with it? We actually wrestled with that early on, but now it's a requirement that it has to be at least four weeks in advance of the closing. So Get all the deal points done, sign the paperwork. Everybody's happy with that. And then it's a life-changing event for many people on the team. It's certainly, you want to make sure that you develop a relationship with the doctors and get them integrated and over with regard to what their terms are and, and their, their comfort level with the new organization. Because you're basically buying, I mean, without people, you don't have much of an asset there at the, at the hospital. And so I think it's important that the seller's getting a lot of money. And they have a responsibility to make sure that the deal goes through in a a way that's comfortable for their people and makes the transition as smooth as it can be. And so, yeah, it's something that we insist on at this point in time, for sure. Very interesting. So for the veterinarian, because there is a seller who obviously is the benefactor of the transaction, and then there's certain incentives that are locked in behind that person. You guys have different structured deals, right? You could buy out outright or you roll the equity or there's different scenarios and you allow those different ones. And then for the associates, you guys have a special program that you mentioned that there's also a great benefit for the doctors that stay on and work for Pathway. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we just actually, I think this is a game changer in our industry from a standpoint of, I'm sure we'll see some copycats as we did when we went with the partnership model on the equity uh, at the level of the platform uh, a few years ago. But basically, we call it the Veterinary Incentive Program. And so if people are with us for several years, each year, they get a certain amount of money in the bank. And then when we have our next financial transaction, they're going to get a significant payout based on how the investor's performance goes. And so we you know, had an initial private equity partner that we transacted with to a new one last March in the middle of COVID. And those people did a significant multiple on their initial investment. And, and that sort of company performance is going to benefit our doctors, hopefully going forward, all associates and all new hires. We anticipate hopefully at our next event, uh, sharing maybe as much as three to $500 million across our veterinarians. Very excited about that. That's incredible. It's almost like you're becoming an equity shareholder in a monetary perspective, but you benefit from the overall organization through the next recapitalization. So the interesting question with then performance, veterinarians hate to be measured. Well, I hated to be measured when I was a vet. So what is the secret sauce of what do you find veterinarians are less resistant to? Because we value what we do based on the results and the outcomes of the patients and the health. And then we are measured based on the financial results. So where's the balance and how do you measure so the veterinarians are less resistant? Let's put it this way. That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think, you know, veterinarians need to understand that they're the breadwinners for the hospital team. So they have a home family and they have a hospital family and they need to not divorce themselves from the revenue aspect of the business. But I think that the way to get to them, in addition to sort of playing to that piece, which is 
you're responsible for your team is also the fact that you can take financial metrics and create medical metrics from them. Like you can do comparative statistics around wellness blood work. You can do comparison statistics around diagnostic imaging and you can do dentistry and surgery. And I think veterinarians in general are a competitive lot and they don't like to be in second place. Many times they're perfectionists, which can get in their way sometimes. But I think if you play to the fact that average doctor in your practice is doing X and you're only doing half of X, what is it that we can do to help you get to X? Because your patients need that. So that's sort of my approach seems to be effective. That's certainly something that I've been looking at. So I don't know if you've followed some of the stuff that I've done on burnout and, and I keep continuing looking into what is it that makes veterinarians to four times more likely to commit suicide or just why do we burn out that bad? And one of the aspects that I'm paying a lot of attention to right now is that I have this hypothesis that with a full steam going as a veterinarian from the childhood when you were thinking becoming a vet to the point where you become a vet, these are people that set goals for 15 years ahead of them, or they're like you having a couple more degrees on top of that. That's like, I'm even scared to ask how many years that took. In They're sort of like a learning junkies with a goal setting. And then when they arrive to this practice, they kind of go to full stop because they don't set the next goal. So my hypothesis is that actually as the consolidation develops, setting the goals for the veterinarian, that continues their sort of motivation to achieve other goals, financial goals or learning objectives or things like that. So it sounds like that competitive edge would be another interesting addition to it to combine with the metrics on financial as well as outcomes of the treatment plans that they provide. Do you guys do anything with the structured continuous education or is it something that they just have an allowance for? Do you help them to kind of make a plan? They have an allowance that the making of the plan is often a local or regional process. Each of our hospitals has a medical director and their their role is to make sure that their teams have growth opportunities and have reviews and opportunities to be appreciated. So, you know, we're developing as part of my role, new doctor mentoring programs, rewarding new grads for a continued growth and performance, some additional things that will be coming down the pike. So it's important to kind of emphasize that lifelong learning and to recognize that individuals have that as a need, even if they don't voice it themselves. And so we need to build into our scalability, if you will, the ability for people to grow individually and collectively and, and to continue to progress for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if you, uh, I don't, uh, do you know uh, Patrick Welsh from VetBloom or Ethos? I hired Patrick the residency at Iowa State when he was a fledgling ophthalmologist. <laughs> so he came to work. <laughs> yes, I know Patrick. He's done a great job with that platform. That's a fantastic. Uh, that was his growth point. You know, he was an ophthalmologist. He was a good ophthalmologist, but that wasn't satisfying him. So that's a case in point where people can continue to progress and do great things. So he's a wonderful individual and he's done a wonderful job building that platform for sure. Yeah, I was just chatting with him the other week and he was telling me about their plan about expanding the before you become the next level in, you know, your board certification, but sort of a micro, not courses really, but understanding, let's say if I'm a vet, just like I am, and then if I want to be an ER vet, and if I work somewhere as an ER vet, I can complete certain courses and then those be transferable, not as big as the board certification. I think they're doing that with IBM. I don't know if, you, if you've seen their work on that, but it looks pretty interesting. Yeah, additional certificate programs, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. 
I think it's interesting too, as we see a major benefit of the consolidation is how you said that the people that are your regional folks and the integration managers are former practice managers. I think we've found that that's a really interesting growth path coming from the PIM space, as Ivan was talking about, hiring people that have been in that world before. I remember we hired some vet techs to work on our sales team and found that that was a really successful place for them. But I think that's a neat way for people that are looking to grow beyond the clinic. A consolidation should be looked at as a really great career opportunity as well. So neat to see it on all levels of the practice. Yeah, we certainly present that. I'm sure others do as well, that here's opportunities that being part of a, a larger whole is going to provide to you as, as individuals and use that as part of the, the integration process and, and to allay people's fears of being part of a bigger group and emphasize the fact that there are a lot of advantages to being part of a larger organization as well. And that's one of them for sure. Yeah, it, it almost like expands that sort of ceiling on the like technician, which is sort of a dead end profession. And then some people quit when they hit this sort of 35, because it's just so hard to wrestle with the dogs. But then the consolidation can really open up the career ladder for them. The one role that I wanted to talk about, you mentioned in our previous discussions that support role, is that for the regional management that working for the hospital's mindset? Because some consolidations, when we talk to them, their regional managers are taken as sort of those people that are coming in to look at your metrics and they don't really want to talk to them. They're not seen as the support role. So how does that work in Pathway? Do those people really work with their hospital managers and help them to accelerate certain KPIs that they're behind? Or is there like a toolbox where they come in and have these meetings where they discuss how to progress in certain things that are below the benchmarks? Yeah, I think it's a flip of the org chart, if you will, instead of a sort of a top-down management approach where we tell people and direct people to do things, you actually have to think about it from how can I make this person grow and get to the same result, but also keep them from blowing up or burning out or leaving. Since staffing on all levels is our greatest challenge in our hospitals across the profession, I think it's important to recognize that if the hospitals aren't staffed, we're not making revenue and we're not supporting the business. And so again, it comes back to the fact that it's a veterinary business. It's not a business business. And so if you have to be a, a regional manager, your role should be to support and coach, not come in and have a directive stick approach, if you will, to management is my view of it. And I think in general, you'll be as successful or more successful if you adopt the mindset of I work for them instead of they work for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Bob, we hate to cut you off, but I know we are very firm in promising our listeners no more than 30 minutes. And there's tons of great things that I know we have to learn from you. You've given us some great insights on the initial foundation and a lot of the people portions of it. We'd love to have you back for an, at least one more episode. I think we probably could do an entire Bob podcast where it's just you telling Ivan and I all the things that we need to learn. But we'd love to have you back for another episode or two in the next couple of weeks and talk about more things. So again, we really appreciate all of the insights here and, and we'd love to have another conversation soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity. And, and it's uh, great to spend time with you guys and look forward to our next episode. So thank you. Great to see you, Bob, and looking forward to the next one. Cheers. To learn more about what Bob is doing with Pathway Vet Alliance, visit them at their website, 
pathwayvets.com. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.